we started something last week and the title of the message was let the word do its work last week we talked about burning your fleece right and i spoke to you about the things that you must do and the things that can represent a fleece in your life i also told you how you can let the word work i said that and i give you an acronym I said that you have to, there has to be some immersion, there has to be confession, and you have to take action. Today we're going to be speaking on the danger of unbelief. I will be reading from the book of Hebrews chapter 3, from verse 7 to 19. During the Bible reading, we read Hebrews chapter 4, from verse 1 to 13. It was a Bible reading that I chose deliberately because... We're going to be looking at that portion of scripture in continuation. But I read from Hebrews chapter 3 from verse 7 to 19. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, to today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, they do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhaust one another, exalt one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast into the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as, it, as in the day of provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, how be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses? But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it with them that had sinned? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter his rest, but to them that believed not. See, so we see that they could not enter in because of what? Because of unbelief. There are a lot of things used to describe the, the state of unbelief here. At some point, the writer of Hebrews calls it sin. At some point, he calls it an evil heart. And he's warning them not to harden their hearts. So you can pick out three things. It says it's a sin. It says that these people, their hearts are hard. He also says that these people, their hearts are evil. And the question you ask yourself is, what did these people do that brought these many disastrous descriptions upon them? And the writer concludes by saying that what? They could not enter because of unbelief. Just one word, unbelief. What's so dangerous about unbelief? What is it? And if you go into the Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 4, which we read in our Bible reading today, it talks about how all of us who have received Jesus, it says that we have this rest that he's speaking about. Because he said that if Joshua really took them into rest, then we will not be talking about rest today. 
he's talking about the rest that comes by accepting Jesus into our hearts as our Lord and Savior. He's talking about the gateway to eternal rest, right? Which we've all possessed because everybody here is a Christian. But if there was no danger and there was no warning, he would not keep saying, you should be what? Careful. Do not harden your heart. What he's telling you is that when your heart comes in contact with the word, you are still in danger of what destabilized these people in the wilderness and caused them not to enter the promised land. You are still in danger of it. That just because you've received a portion or a down payment of that rest in the Holy Spirit that is inside you does not mean that if you just live your life anyhow or you interact with the word of God anyhow, that rest, that eternal rest that we would get when we leave this earth is guaranteed for you. Are we following? Okay. And the solution really is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where he talks about the word. Because everything he's speaking about here is still about the word of God and how we as human beings interact with the word of God when it comes in contact with us. Because what happened in the wilderness is the way the children of Israel interacted with the word of God when he came in contact with them. That is the entire theme of this particular passage. And he concludes that part in a sense by speaking in verse 12. He says, for the word of God is what? It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and what? And spirit. Piercing even to the divine of soul and spirit and of the joints and what? And marrow. And is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things naked and open unto him with whom we have to do. If you look at the work of the word here, essentially he's saying that the word can take apart the entirety of a human being. He mentions your soul, he mentions your spirit, he mentions your soul and your, I mean your bones and your marrow, which represents what? Your body. So the three aspects of man, he talks about it, then he talks about the intentions of what? Of your heart. That you cannot hide anything from the word. And when the word comes in contact with you, it has the ability to what? To pierce through everything that makes you you. But you see, that word will not do its work if your heart is what? Hard. So it is not a coincidence that the description he uses for the word here is the description of a sword, a sharp object, because he has been speaking about hardness of heart. So what he's saying is that it still depends on you. This word has the potential and the ability to do this thing for you every time you come in contact with it. This is what it can do. It can pierce through the entirety of you. It can discern your thoughts and your intents. And it can set you aright. It can set you on the path to your destiny. It can set you on the path to your future. But it's on one condition. Harden not your hearts. Like the days of the provocation. So for us to truly understand what unbelief is, we have to go to what this writer is narrating, the actual story. And in the Bible, there are two accounts of this story. There's an account in Numbers, which tells you as it happens. But the most descriptive account that really captures what we are saying is the account in Deuteronomy, where Moses was narrating the story to the people. Because Moses, as a leader who has the ear of God, 
and who is also leading the people of Israel, was able to tell them what God's perspective on what they did was. And that can be found in the first chapter of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1 from verse 19 to 38. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. As I tell you some things that you have to check for in your life. That might be there that you might not even know. Or things that you might have done. That you don't know is wrong. Or is very wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 1. From verse 19 to verse 38. And we're going to read it. It's a bit long, but we're going to read it. We will have stopped in 36. But I want to show you the consequences of this. Verse 19. And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which ye saw by the way of the mountains, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, Ye are come unto the mount of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and what? And possesses. As the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land, and bring us word again, by what way we must go up into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well. And I took twelve men of you, one of the tribe, and there, and they turned and went up into the mountain and came unto the valley of Eshaw and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God does give us. Verse 25. Verse 6 says, Notwithstanding, you will not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. And he murmured in your sense and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Hamorites and to destroy us. Whither shall we go up, our brethren? Have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. The sons of the Anakims were giants, by the way. So that's the context there. Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. In the wilderness, where thou hast seen how the Lord thy God had bare thee as a man doth bear his son, in all the way that ye went until ye came into this place, yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in, in fire by night, to show you what way you should go, and in cloud by day. When we're leading prayer this morning, this was a scripture that mommy used to lead us in prayer. A reference to what we are reading here. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wrought and swear, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto you unto your fathers. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he had trodden upon unto his children, because he had wholly followed the Lord. Also, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes, saying, Thou also shalt not go in thither, but Joshua the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Amen. Later on, you would read how this event pained Moses. It pained him. 
He really pained him. And when they got close, the Bible records how Moses begged God. He actually begged God and said, let me just see it. Let me just enter too. And God said, no. Climb the mountain and see it. But as I have said, it is Joshua that will lead them into it. He pained him. You know, sometimes we tend to read about Bible characters and we don't look at them like human beings like you and me. Moses was hurt by what happened to him. He was hurt. Because it's, it's his labor. He labored on these people. And it's because of them he didn't enter. It's not because of him. It's because of them. It would not have been unnatural for Moses to think in himself that if only when God said, let me take all of them away, I just said, take them away. Perhaps he would have given me new people and I would have seen the end of a journey that I started 40 years plus ago in Egypt. He started his journey. He didn't finish it. What is unbelief? Unbelief begins with the seed of doubt in the mind. When Jesus was talking about faith, and he talked about faith as a mustard seed, he said that if you shall say unto this mountain, be thou moved and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in your what? In your heart. He didn't say doubt in your mind. Doubt starts from the mind before it takes root in your heart. Because your heart is where you believe. It says, with your heart you believe into what? Unto what? Salvation. With your mouth you confess. The heart is the seat of belief. The mind is not the seat of the belief. The mind is the seat of reasoning. And the seed of doubt planted in the mind is what leads you to unbelief. One of the most vital things that you will learn from Moses' account of this story is that the idea to go and spy the land was not Moses' idea. It wasn't God's idea either. It was the people. Moses just told them, go. Then they came to him. And they said, what? Let us go and spy the land. And the greatest mo- mistake Moses ever made was, he said what? And it pleased me. And I told you to go and spy. If Moses knew how this story was going to end, perhaps he would have just told them, no spying, just what? Just go. What does spying represent here? Spying represents strategy. Logic, gathering evidence, reasoning out how God is going to do it, reasoning out how it will be. That's what spying represents. When God wants you to move in a particular direction, and when the word is telling you something, and the devil brings doubt into your mind, it's natural. Doubt is the the byproduct of natural man, but you are not a natural man. You have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the Holy Spirit now resides inside you. The way you are supposed to tackle that doubt before it takes root and begins to flourish and grow is through the Word of God, which is still the topic. But rather than do that, you start to reason. Some of us, our reasoning is in the direction of trying to help God. Some of us, our reasoning is in the direction of trying to see how this thing will be. 
your intent to reason might come from a good place. But what you don't realize is that the things that you reason is the same weapon that the devil will use to ground that doubt. So you see, when they went there, they admitted that the land was good. In fact, they brought evidence, right? It took a fruit. But that wasn't the point. The point was that attempt to go and spy the land was them walking by sight and not by faith. And so when they got there, they saw both the good and what? And the bad. And that's what the devil does to us. When the God gives us a word or we encounter something in the Bible and we want to stand on it, and rather than stand on it as it is and taking God at what he said and running with him, you decide to start fidgeting and dilly-dallying and figuring out how it will be. What will happen next is that you will see the good and the bad, but you can never focus on the good. Some of you believe the things that you've heard. Some of you started doing some things when you came here. And when the man of God or the pastor or during prayer or whatever, you were inspired. Even people did not tell you. Maybe even the Holy Spirit told you by himself. Start moving in what? This direction. Start doing this. And you took it and you started running with it. But you connected it to something and that thing has not manifested just yet. And now you started thinking. When is it going to come? Is this thing really possible? Can God really do it? I've been waiting. It's like the thing is delaying. The time has passed. And when you start to entertain those thoughts... What starts to happen immediately is you see the good in that you see the potential of that thing happening. But you also see the bad. You see the giants. You see, God knows us a lot. You know one of the reasons why God does not give us the full picture? Because if he gives us the full picture, we won't go. If they told Abraham that they will take your wife from you, you will dig well, they will close the well, and all those... disasters oh your nephew at some points the boy that you helped will come and fight you take your sheep away then after he takes your sheep away you still have to go and rescue him from enemies if god downloaded all that to abraham the day he called him abraham will sit in his house it doesn't matter how bad the situation is he won't go because he will say to himself well at least the the problem i have now i'm managing it Don't come and stress me. That's why he doesn't tell us. And that's why we must act by faith. But God gives us the mercy of not telling us, but we will now decide to tell ourselves. And start to reason. And this is where unbelief starts from. As the first step. Because we have to really look at it. If this unbelief is so dangerous that God was so angry with these people that he killed all of them in the wilderness, then we must not let it surface in our lives. We must be careful. It's a very serious issue. And that's where it starts from. The second thing that will happen is that the devil will keep giving you reasons why that thing cannot work and why you should stop doing what you are doing. And there are three things that can happen to you. The first thing that can happen to you is that you refuse 
to keep taking that step. That's the first thing that can happen to you. Because that's the first thing they did. They refused to go. The second thing that can happen to you is that you start complaining. Complaint in the context of the scripture and God's word is simply an external expression of doubt. Yesterday we talked about, I mean last week we talked about confession. Complaining is what is negative confession. And the truth is that when you are complaining, whether you have an audience or not, it doesn't matter. When you are complaining, what you are doing is you are negating God's word. And the third thing that can happen, which is probably the greatest you can do, that is a sin, is that your negative disposition towards God starts to win you followers. Starts to win you what? Disciples. And it can happen anywhere. It can happen in your office. It can happen in your family. Where because of the way you've conducted yourself, because you've not stood on the word of God, other people are saying things about God and what God said that are negative on your own account. Because you've refused to be a serious Christian. That's what they said here. They said our brethren have told us so basically, these people that went to spy, you know, Moses chose one from every tribe. These people that went to spy, it's not just that they brought the bad reports back to Moses. It's that they talked about it so much in their own house that everybody in their family now came and told Moses, well, our brethren have told us so that you want to just kill us. That's your plan. Have you noticed that when the brethren were talking about what the people said. The brethren never mentioned that the people also said the land was good. That one, they said it to Moses. What they took home was there are giants there. We cannot possess it. The walls are to the heavens. That's what they took home. I'm breaking it down step by step so you know why God was angry with these people. Because what is unbelief? Unbelief is not you it affects alone. No. The same way the fate of one man can change an environment. When somebody is living in unbelief, it affects everyone around him. Because you cannot simply stand on the word of God and what he says and what he says you should do. Because you are trying to negotiate with him one way or the other. Because you know that this is the next step. You know that this is the next step in this job. You know that this is the next step in this your career. You know that this is what God is saying about your relationship with the church. You know that this is what God is saying about your relationship with person or this other person or family. You know. But you are bargaining. And you are reasoning it out. 
And when that thing is too hard for you to do and you start complaining, and you take a hard stance and you refuse to go, you are veering into what? Unbelief. That's a fact. I think I said a lot of times here, our God is not a Democrat. We don't used to do election in the kingdom of God. God is a, what's a theocrat. It's what he says we do. But you see, he didn't stop here. God still had one final mercy upon them because he's a merciful God. And that mercy, he showed it through Moses. Moses reminded them of all God has done for them. Told them about leading them through the wilderness, all the miracles, all the feeding. The pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day. Everything that God has done for them up until that point, Moses reenacted them to them to do what? It's to encourage them and say, don't worry. Just what? Go. And they still didn't go. And they said they were not going. It was at that point that God now spoke. So the third thing and where you know you've camped in unbelief is when you disregard the victories of the past and you refuse to use them as a foil for your faith. All the things that God does for you, he doesn't just do, we've said it a lot, but messages and church is about repetition. God does nothing for you, he does it for himself. What does that statement actually mean? It means that everything that you've experienced in your life is not for you to just come out and say, God did this for me, or to rest in the laurel of the achievement. Oh, he gave me a new job. Oh, they increased my salary. Oh, they did this, oh, they did that. It's not for you to rest on your laurels. When the next step of faith is waiting for you and you are at that door, and there's discouragement, and the devil is trying to put doubt in your mind, if you cannot use those experiences as fuel, along with the word of God, to take the next step and say to yourself, if God can do that, then he's going to do the next one. And I'm going to run with him. And you still choose not to move with him, then you are an unbeliever. Because by doing that, you are calling God a liar. You're calling him a liar. And our God is not a liar. He's not. You're also calling God a fool. That he doesn't know what he's doing. And the final thing is you're not giving him glory. Read through the Bible. Read through the story of Jesus. All his miracles. Read it. You'll see that after the miracle... There are three options. Hmm? Option number one, Jesus will tell the person to follow him. Or the person, without being told, just follows him. We only heard later, when, we're, when they were describing Mary, the one that was, he casted out seven devils from. We don't have the account of when he did it. They're just letting us know, okay, oh, since then, that this woman has gone to this man and she has not let him go. And she did not let him go. 
That's option one. Option two is they want to follow him. He tells them, no. Go and show yourself. Or go and tell them. Go and he turns them to evangelists. That's what he does. Because as he takes them, he sends them away. They start to spread what? The news of what he has done. And so when Jesus now gets to that place, his work is easy. Two examples. The Samaritan woman. The, the man from which he casted the legion of demons. He wanted to follow. He said, no. Go and what? Go and tell the people. By the time Jesus comes back there, his work is what? Easy. Then the third set of people, which the examples are very few, like the nine lepers, are the ones that go away. They don't say thank you. And we hear nothing about them. Giving glory to God doesn't end in you just giving your testimony. Giving glory to God is allowing that thing that God has done for you be one of the weapons that God will use in propelling you to do more for him. Do you understand? It has to be foil. And that is what these people did wrong. There are some people that they can't follow them to church because of what they've said. They can't follow you to church. They can't follow your example because in the process of your interaction with people in your office or some people in your social circle, you have been an unbeliever. You have been an unbeliever. You have. Because you've acted in doubt. You've complained. Which is why when we say some things that we say here, there's a reason why. When we say when they are talking about Nigeria and they are talking about the whole economy and all that, the best thing to do is not to get involved in those situations or those conversations. We know there's a reason why. It's because you will now come back here and we will pray that, oh, God should bless you irrespective of the economy, right? God should promote you, oh, my economy is in heaven, not, in, not on earth. And that when Buhari was president, you say you're not under Buhari's economy, you're under Jesus' economy. When Tinubu is president now, you say I'm not under Tinubu's economy, I'm under Jesus' economy. Whoever becomes president tomorrow, because we don't know, anything can happen. You say I'm not under that person's economy. I'm on, under Jesus' economy. Yes, you go back to your office, and tomorrow they might increase the price of fuel again. And that's the conversation on Monday morning. And you two, you're joining and talking to them about how it's hard. Just leave the conversation. You say, oh, and when they ask you, say, I'm just being real. Yeah. When these people were complaining, well, in numbers, you see what Joshua and Caleb said. It's not in this account. Joshua and Caleb said, that, don't say this thing. God has given us this land. Let us go and get it. And after the people did not listen to them, did you see two of them talk again? He kept quiet. But God saw them and saw their hearts. And said, these ones, they what? They believe. Because they are willing to go. Irrespective of what they see. So the question for you is, are you willing to go? The devil has already done you a disservice 
in that he has made you a, a thinker and a warrior and a reasoner. And you have analyzed, 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 analyzed. And Jesus said, how many of you by worrying can grow what a cubit? How many of you by worrying can one hair on your head? You are responsible for it. How many of you can do it? Nobody. You can't do anything about it. But you've analyzed, analyzed, thought, thought. Some people, they will dissect. You write your prophecy in your book, not to pray about it. Or when they give you word, you don't write it so that you go and pray about it. You write it so you go and dissect it. We're not in this world. We're not of this world. A couple of years ago, before this church started, no, just when this church started, I had an acquaintance. And this is something I never do before. I have never done in my life. And she calls herself a Christian. I remember that January. Was it? I can't remember. I think it was 2021. She, she had a hangout in her house. And she said, in January, and she said that, oh, people should come so that we can all, they can all draw their vision board for the year. And when I heard it, I like vision board. That's witchcraft. It is. It is. Because you see, all the people that are going to go that day, the person that is organizing that thing knows what they are doing. Because there's a lot of familiar spirits thing involved in that thing. So what's going to most likely happen is that all the ones that have good prospects and good plans, maybe you are going to the person's house. And you are going to eat the person's food. And you are going to say the things you want to do in your life. Okay. Okay. Let's wait till December. Let's see who has gone far. We're not that, right? We're not that. But everybody has to have a way. Nobody in this world is ordinary. The ones that deny the spiritual, they are lying to you. Fact. Don't believe what you see on TV. They don't believe the news. Almost every big person in this world has a secret. So if it's Jesus that you've chosen to follow, why don't you follow him the way he wants to be followed? That's the question for you today. Why are you taking half measures with him? Why have you gone a particular distance with him, but you've just decided to deliberately block some part of your life away from him. These people that they got fouled, they had fought plenty battles in this wilderness. So, so you think about it and you're like, okay, what was so special about this place? Like, what was the problem? What was the problem? And when we exercise unbelief before God, that's the same attitude. What's the problem? Why is it that this one is so hard? Why is that this particular one is so hard? Why? And the answer to the question is, it's not. You've just forgotten. And the reason you've forgotten the goodness of God and all the things he has done and all the things he has brought you from is because you stopped reading this Bible. Because it's the word of God that makes you remember. It's the word of God that makes you what? Remember. The promises of God is the word of God that makes you remember. And that's how you kill doubt. You do not let doubt in your mind get to the stage of complaining or get to the stage in which the things that you are doing and the actions you are taking is making somebody even question whether you are really a Christian because you are trying to orchestrate that breakthrough or break forth or whatever. Don't let doubt get you to the point where 
it now takes root of your heart. And you cannot kill it by empty prayers. You kill it by the word. It is the word that is the fuel for the prayer that you say you want to pray. Are we together? That's how you kill it. That's how you move forward. This is the world we live in. It is. There's darkness and evil everywhere. That's just the truth. So how are you going to stand? It's not on empty prayers. It has to, it has to be on the word of God. It has to be. And all the things that God has said to you, all the things that you read in this book, all the things that have been taught you on this altar, it's not for us to just come to church and say, oh, I spent another three hours and we're going back home. <laughs> no. It's for you to be able to stand outside. But unbelief is dangerous. And it creeps in. It creeps in. You don't even know when it has entered. Because consistency is the most difficult thing in spiritual work. And the secret to consistency is this. You can never tell when you've stopped. Because you can stop inside and still be doing it outside. You can still be coming to church and you've lost the plot. Nobody can see your heart. Nobody can see that you've become tired. Nobody can see that you are jaded. Nobody can see what you are struggling with. But you are still coming on Sunday. It doesn't matter. God is looking at what? The heart. And he has seen that you have what? You have stopped. But me, I'm a human being. If God does not show me, I don't know. I'll just see you and say, good worker. But am I the one you are serving? No. So what's the point? And that's what unbelief does. It hardens you. Nothing can penetrate. The word cannot do his work anymore. And you're just a routine Christian. And it's not right. We have to guard against it. Amen? Let's rise up.